Vectors is a half-day event that explores identity and design and how it impacts work, communities, and the world at large. Some of the most innovative minds in the design industry will be there, such as Chikizi Ijiasi, Robin Kanner, Jacinda Walker, Helena Price, and others, including Revision Path. Vectors takes place in San Francisco on June 15th and tickets are on sale now. Just $20 for general admission and students get in for free. Space is limited, so visit wearevectors.com and get your ticket today. This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. One thing that I love asking guests on the show is what advice they would give to an up-and-coming designer. When I talked with George Kettenberg, I asked him what's the best advice he's been given about design. I think, for me, the best advice that I've been given is basically to just do a lot of work. I'm a self-taught designer. I didn't. I don't have any like real formal design education. So for me, it's always been, you know, just trying to make as much as possible and spend as much time as I can just creating. Yeah, I think that's the best advice I've gotten is just to just do a lot of design and push through it. And even though you might suck at first, um, if you keep pushing on it, eventually you'll break through. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? Then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Mapbox is looking for a cartography manager. We also have job listings from Indeed.com, so head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts, and when there are new positions added to the job board, you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. And if you're looking for more jobs, then become a member of our Slack community and join the jobs channel. See you there. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. Join more than 15 million people who use MailChimp to not only send emails, but to grow their businesses on their own terms. Start sending professional-looking newsletters to your clients today for free. Now, you might remember me talking about how they offer free automation tools and they have the ability for you to set up Facebook ad campaigns from within MailChimp. Now you can even set up Instagram ad campaigns. They just rolled this out, I think, last week. Send the right message to the right people at exactly the right time for free. MailChimp. Send better email. When you have a great idea for a project, you need to give it a great domain name. And guess what? Finding the perfect domain name is ridiculously easy with Hover. Hover has over 400 domain extensions, including the classics like .com or .net, niche extensions like .design or .tech, and even quirky extensions like .pizza, .ninja, and .horse. Once you find your domain, you can use Hover Connect to set up your domain with your website in just a few clicks. Find a domain name for your idea. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Again, that's hover.com forward slash revision path. Hover, domain names for your ideas. 
SiteGround's hosting services are crafted for professional, business, or enterprise projects. So whether you're building something custom or you're using a CMS like WordPress, SiteGround lets you build better, faster, safer websites more easily, and they offer multiple hosting options that your websites can grow into. And we've got a fantastic deal for you. Visit SiteGround.com forward slash revision path to get 60% off on all hosting plans. Now for this week's interview, I'm talking with Lauren Dorman, a software developer in Berlin, Germany. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Lauren Dorman, and I'm a software developer based in Berlin, currently working at Colorbright, and uh, focus on music and content technology. Is that kind of what a Colorbright does altogether, or is that just what you do at Colorbright? So it's really interesting. All of the side projects that I tend to work on for fun in my spare time have all really been related to music and, of course, technology and weaving those two together. So it's also the same thing that I do at A Color Bright as well. So that's kind of how the conversation started between us is the fact that we had these common interests. So they were really working on things that I was interested and passionate about and vice versa. Now, what's a typical day like for you there? Can you talk about any of the work that you're doing in in general? A lot of the, the work that we do right now is based on Red Bull Radio. That's like our, our main hitting client right now. We are basically trying to shift the way that their radio content is displayed, handled, and and kind of consumed in a way. So we're kind of really changing the conversation about, you know, how do users consume music on the internet. So we've done a lot of, of user research uh, around that, had people come into the office and click through. A typical day is a lot of, you know, sticky notes, discussions around the best way to implement uh, these interesting ideas in a way that's consumable for the user. And with that work, how have you found that sort of changed you as a designer, like I know, like you said, a lot of your side projects end up having to do with kind of the same thing. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So I definitely find myself doing a, a lot more research, even for personal and side projects. It's just like I'm always constantly questioning how would the user respond to this? How would they interact with this? What's the best way to make this accessible for the user? So it has definitely shaped the way that uh, I approach projects in general. Now, music and design, uh, I feel like at least within the past, well, I, I mean, I'm, I'm speculating here, but I would say within the past 30 years or so, particularly with the advent of like the compact discs and all that sort of stuff, have really been sort of tied closely together. We see a lot of design as it relates to, you know, just cover art and things like that. We also see how technology plays into music with file sharing, DRM, et cetera, all that kind of stuff. Where do you kind of see design and music kind of going into the future? Have you, do you have any thoughts on that? Design and, and music together are definitely, I think, the best way for artists to monetize their work. I think we've entered an age where artists are, are not selling as many physical copies of their music. So the only way for them to 
generate revenue really is through, you know, the multiple streaming platforms that are out there, whether it be, you know, Spotify, SoundCloud, there's tons out there and there's always ways to monetize it. So I think it's, it's definitely a way for artists to be able to become profitable outside of, of course, touring and merchandise and things like this. I think, I think it's definitely a way for artists to have outlets to be able to make funds from that. And I don't see analog really being a thing (laughs) in the future. There are, of course, there are people who are kind of in this arena where they're collecting vinyl and that's like a very prized possession, you know, that people have. And I think, I think there's some interesting stuff there as far as like compact discs and things like this, like the, those things don't matter. But if you're producing something that someone could maybe place in their home, again, when you bring back the idea of artwork, you like, oh, I like this. I like the cover art. Of course I could stream this online, but I, I really like this cover art. Let me buy the vinyl. So, I mean, I think the future is definitely in the arena with streaming and, and web technologies if, as far as music and technology goes. So I know you're not originally from Berlin. You're from Ohio. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Originally from Toledo, Ohio. I want to talk about the journey from Ohio to Berlin. So let's go back to Ohio. Tell me what it was like growing up there. (laughs) So my hometown is roughly around 300,000 people. It's pretty small in comparison to, to the other cities in Ohio that like Cleveland and Columbus, those are like the more notable cities in the state, but it's, it's very family oriented. There's, but which is absolutely a good thing, but uh, yeah, it's small. It's there's, it's really quiet. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's a nice place definitely to raise a family. And I love going back home to visit my family and see all my friends. Growing up, were you really interested in, in design or in art or anything like that? In middle school, I asked my mom for uh, Paint Shop Pro for Christmas one year, and that was like not even. And it was really interesting because the way that I, the reason why I asked for it was because I was like using forums at the time, and everyone would have these cool signatures in their in their on the forums, and I was like, okay, I want to you know make my own forum signatures and. It kind of turned into me like then fixing and editing photos, old family photos, like taking out the creases and the rips and tears. So I definitely got started with design around like middle school and it just kind of progressed from there over time. There's so many people I know that that's how they got their start with design or with coding or something. It was always in in some sort of way dealing with wanting to do something on a website or with a med- <laughs> or fan site or things like that. Yes. I think about that now because when I when you see so much stuff around people learning how to code, it feels like they strip so much of that fun out of it. It's like there's boot camps and there's hackathons and things. And I mean, that's, don't get me wrong, that stuff is great. But the fun and the whimsy of putting something together and learning something based off something that you're really interested in is I think what fueled a lot of us to begin you know, getting interested in this in the first place. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I actually um, went to CSS Conf not too long ago, and Rachel White gave a talk about community and and 
like kind of when the internet became less fun and it was, she made a point about the gamification of like just knowledge sharing and things like this. Like back in the day you could go on a forum and ask a question and get a positive response and, and have people help you out in that way when you were just trying to learn. And then now if you look today, there's sites like, hacker news and stack overflow where it's very much like okay i'm here to give an answer so i can get upvotes you know it's like and i feel like she made a really good point where some of the fun has been stripped away just because people are kind of looking for this status thing but the internet used to be so much fun with like web monkey and it, it was just <laughs> it was just a really cool place to be able to toss up your personal site with all these crazy colors and you didn't have to worry about responsive and it was just like I'm just here to make my site look cool. <laughs> I'm trying to think when that that nexus point when that shift was. I feel like it was somewhere in the the quote unquote web 2.0 era. Whenever social media really started taking off and and personal sites started dying off mm-hmm. like that's right around when that i don't know that level of fun just started withering away a little bit i don't know yeah it was like back then in like 2008 2006 around like maybe even earlier than that that everyone had a personal site. It was like, yeah, I, you know, I'm on GeoCities. I'm, I'm making, <laughs> I'm making a website with all these glittery gifts, and and MySpace kind of had that, had that feel too. So that kind of made it travel a little, a little longer and a little further. But it, it definitely is definitely something I would love to see brought back. I agree. Hopefully, we'll we'll start. I think you're starting to kind of see that now with little kids, where I think there are like toys and apps and things that are built to kind of help them but it feels like the experience is built around the learning instead of the learning being built around the experience yeah i totally agree so let's go back to ohio you were working with paint shop pro you're making graphics and things online eventually went to high school where'd you go to college i went to college at uh, depaul university in chicago I studied media and visual arts there. I actually did a bunch of really weird and cool video art at the time and a lot of mixed media design. And uh, I kind of got into print and publication design towards the end, which kind of led into my kind of fascination with layout and type, which kind of then later naturally progressed into me like fiddling around on the web. It sounds like college was that time that you really had to kind of play like your sandbox in a way. Yeah, absolutely. It was the time that I experimented the most with all types of media and design. And I started learning online through like cold school and Treehouse and, and just kind of like really diving in and focusing on the things that I really wanted to learn about in and outside of school. Do you remember what some of those projects were? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I first started building, like, the, the publication that I started designing for, which was one of the departments at the university, I started designing for them, and they were like, hey, we kind of, like, need this blog, and we don't have the resources to, like, 
you know, we don't have any developers on hand or anything like, do you think you could put together this blog and make it happen? So that was like something that kind of pushed me to learn a lot more about code. I was doing the design for the publication, but it's like, okay, this website, we have no idea what we want it to look like. We just know we want something that allows us to blog and, and present our content in, in a new way. So that was like one of my like pet projects that I had that was that really allowed me to kind of explore those different technologies and learn more. Now, do you think DePaul kind of set you up for success once you once you got out there in the working world? <laughs> I would definitely say that the people that I met there throughout my my four years there have have definitely shaped the way that I work now. I kind of landed a freelance design position at a local streetwear boutique there. And that kind of helped me get settled into the city. And I met a lot of people outside of school, but it, it was definitely a meeting between the two of like getting involved in the community and also like using my resources at the university. And so that was sort of what your, your early career was like. So from your early career there, I'm curious, how did you end up in Berlin? Did you just work for a while in Ohio and said, you know what, I got to get out of here? What was the shift behind that? <laughs> so I definitely, I enjoyed my time in Ohio. I actually have lived in three cities in Ohio. That's how much I love it. <laughs> but I definitely needed a change coming from Ohio, going to Chicago and then back to Ohio. I kind of really got used to the pace of Chicago and, and larger cities. So I, I did need a, a bit of a change. So I started to talk to companies that I was interested in working for in, in larger cities. So the transition was definitely a big part of like, I wanted, I wanted a, a personal change and also a change of pace. And Germany ended up being the change of pace. I mean, yeah, Berlin is, it's a fascinating city. It's the second largest city in Europe. Berlin was not, I wasn't like, it wasn't in my mind to say, Hey, I'm going to move out of the country. Like it just, it literally kind of, you know, happened. It just, everything kind of fell into place and it just, it was really an easy and seamless process. Let's talk about that. I'm curious about the process for two reasons. One, I know that we have a lot of people listening that, you know, quite honestly, because of the current political climate here, has been looking at how can I take my skills elsewhere that's not necessarily here within the United States. But secondly, I'm just kind of interested, you know, coming from a position where you didn't move over there as a child, you didn't have relatives over there as a child. This is all stuff that you did as an adult. You said the process just seemed to be pretty simple and pretty easy. So not to, you know, get too into the weeds about the particularities, but can you kind of talk a little bit about how that all worked out? Yeah. So again, I was talking to the studio that I'm at and I had been working out with them, what our terms would be. And they sent over a contract. And if you have a, a working contract with, you know, a, a decent paying salary, you can apply for a blue card. So there's several type of, of visas that you can get. But if you're from certain countries like the States, and you can get a blue card, which I was really surprised by the fact that I was able to 
get my blue card back within a week. And I was like, okay. So the the process, filling out all the paperwork, of course, that's that takes a, a bit of time. But yeah, surprisingly, I had my appointment and the interview and and quickly got my blue card back. And I was like, okay, this is this. I've, it almost felt too easy, <laughs> to be honest. But yeah, it was it was a really easy process. What's different from your life now in Berlin than how it was in the States? A lot. <laughs> I definitely, I eat a lot of, a lot differently. I, the, I miss tacos a lot. I'll be honest. <laughs> there aren't many tacos here, but the culture change is definitely a lot different. There's a lot of people who speak English, but there's some barriers with language. The cost of living is much different, which is a, a nice, it's a nice plus. German bureaucracy in general is was really tough to get get used to. They play everything like <laughs> they play everything by the book. So it's like, okay, you have to register your flat each time you move and go to the park. You have all these appointments. It seems like the appointments pile up uh, back to back, but it's definitely a nice culture change. I don't see the most people of color, but there is a nice mix. Berlin is is a diverse city, which is a big difference from other cities that I've visited in Germany. Uh, there's another person that we interviewed for the site, Timmy Adenigi. I think she's like episode 93, 94 probably, but she's also in Berlin. She works for Blinkist. And mm-hmm. I remember her describing to me how cosmopolitan Berlin was. She says it's just a very kind of first world type of city. Not that, you know, I was expecting it wouldn't be (laughs) major cities in the world. But did you find that it was even a bigger change than from your time in Chicago? I would say that Berlin is actually definitely a bit more city like even than Chicago. Chicago is a big city as well, but there's a lot to be discovered in Berlin. It's it's very widespread also, so there's a lot of grounds to cover. But yeah, the difference between the two, I would say that, that Berlin is, it doesn't have as many people of color naturally, but but it is very a very open place. It's a very welcoming place to be. What's the design and the tech scene like there? There's a lot. It's a pretty big design and tech scene, actually. I was quite surprised. I didn't know of all of the companies that were here before I got here. But there's Spotify, SoundCloud. You know, there's a lot of really large tech companies here. And it's really, again, really inclusive. There's like program or meetup called uh, Refugees on Rails, where they actually like teach refugees how to develop uh, software. So it's like, it's very inclusive. Yeah, it's, that's, I felt like, like, that's one of the best things about the texting here is that it is, it is pretty inclusive. And you mentioned CSS Conf EU. Was that your first time going there? Did you speak there? Or did you just attend? 
Ah, uh, yeah, that was my first time at CSS Conf, and it was massive. <laughs> I did give a, a lightning talk on Tachyons, which is a functional CSS toolkit. I just kind of gave a, a breakdown of you know what it was and the benefits of using it, and it was actually really, really well received, which I was excited about. And I met a lot of really cool people there, so it was awesome. Now, from what I'm getting from our conversation so far, you seem to be a pretty laid back person, from what I can tell. Yeah, I'm pretty chill. <laughs> and I mean, because even as you mentioned kind of the, the process and moving over, like you're not calling it a culture shock. You're just saying, oh, it's just a culture shift. Like, oh, it was it was cool. You know, you did this. It was fine. <laughs> Did you pick up anything new there in Berlin that you weren't doing in the States? I mean, I know aside from, you know, how the culture is different, but what's something new that you never thought you'd be doing that you're now doing in Berlin? Well, it's not necessarily something that I never thought I would be doing because it's kind of did this in the States, but the trash sorting here is is kind of next level. <laughs> it's uh, You separate your trash by plastics, paper, colored glass, white glass, and biocomposite and, and regular composite. So you sort your trash in, in five to six ways. And I think that was like one of the most interesting things. I was like, wow. I was like in the States, like we just have a recycling bin and we just put all of it in there. And then we have trash where it's just like food and, and things that we feel like don't fit into these specific categories. But I think that was like one of the things that was like, okay, first I had to get used to it. And I was like, okay, do is does this go in this bin or that bin? Is sometimes it's like always uh, like it's sometimes it's just like a question in my mind, like am I actually like doing this the right way? <laughs> and it is questionable. <laughs> now, when we spoke before recording, you told me that you wanted to really relay your experience about being a black expat in tech. And there's a few folks that we've had on the show that are also kind of in in or they either are or were in similar kind of situations. I'm thinking of, uh, of Kai Jacobs, who is in the Netherlands. I'm pretty sure there's been one or two people that are in London. Dory Tunstall, this was maybe about a year or so ago, when she was in Australia. What has it been like for you? I mean, you said that the tech and design scene is pretty chill. It sounds like you've acclimated to everything pretty well. What has your experience been being a black expat in tech? What do you want to kind of relate to our audience about that? I mean, there's very few of us, but but there are a couple. But the thing is, being an expat, coming from the States, it, it's a little bit different than seeing someone else who's Black here. Typically, they're not from the States. I meet a few people here and there, but it's, it's definitely a, a you're kind of you kind of feel alone there sometimes, even though the community may be inclusive, but you look around and you, you don't see many other black faces. It's kind of kind of rare. But there are people of color who, who are also, you know, very welcoming. And and I think it's an interesting experience to kind of go through and, and experience it as an expat, not being from the community locally, but coming in and kind of 
adding your perspective. I've had some really interesting conversations and discussions just around like, you know, and of course the first question people (laughs) want to ask is about politics and like if I moved because of certain situations back in the States. So it really kind of shapes the conversations that I have. It's really eye-opening to see how people perceive people from the States and also just like someone, and especially looking at me, sometimes people look at me and they really can't, you know, figure out, you know, what my race is or what my background is. So it always sparks some really interesting conversations and discussions. Now, I know here in the U.S., there's always this talk about diversity in design, diversity in technology. Are you finding that those conversations are exist over there, too? They definitely exist where I am at my studio. We kind of discuss these things and we are definitely aware and open to all of the conversations that are happening around tech and diversity and inclusion. I haven't seen many meetups here discuss those topics, but I've definitely had conversations on a, on a one-to-one level where where people are aware of these things. And again, like I just attended CSS and JS Comp and it was really very inclusive. They had diversity scholarships, they had childcare, free childcare, you know, they kind of really thought through it all. And it shows me that people in the community are aware and they are trying to accommodate and trying to make sure that everyone kind of feels welcome. Do you feel like more of yourself there? In Berlin? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do, actually. I feel like Berlin in general is is a very, it's a city where I think everyone kind of knows they can be themselves. There's tons of different diverse individuals, not even on a racial level, but just as far as interest and Everyone can literally be themselves and there will be someone else out there who is either like you or someone who you can relate to. Yeah, when I talked with Douglas Turner a while ago, he is currently here in Boston, but before he, I'm not not here in Boston, he lives in Boston here in the U.S., uh, but before that he spent a number of years in Iceland. And he said it was interesting to him how, you know, being in this this completely, you know, European environment, it felt like he could kind of, I don't want to say not be black, if that makes any sense. It felt like the any sort of racial type of animus that might be attached to his skin color was almost a secondary or a tertiary thing, and it was more about him and his personality, that kind of thing. And I've, I've heard that from other people that, other black people that go to Europe or go in other places where it feels like they shed that American weight of yes. black in a way. Yeah, there's definitely a big difference. Like over here in Europe, it, it's much different. You don't have that weight of the American attention of between black and white people there. It's just not on their mind as much, you know, so you don't really deal with that on a day-to-day basis as you would in the States. In the States, you know, there are people who who literally fear for their lives or their children's lives just based on the color of their skin. Mm-hmm. And when you're, when you're here, you kind of walk out and you don't, you don't really have that same weight and that those same fears, which is really, it's really a shame. It shouldn't be that way, of course. 
I definitely can relate to that. It, it is a different feeling just being here. So let's kind of shift gears a little bit. I know you've talked about the work that you're doing. We, we've, you know, definitely talked about kind of those cultural differences between the U.S. and Berlin. As far as you as a designer, what is it that keeps you motivated and inspired? More recently, it's been um, human interactions, just conversations with people, especially, you know, being here, I'm having conversations with people I would have, you know, never had conversations with. But it's a lot of human interaction and just discussion. It kind of informs a lot of the decisions I make. I'm learning a lot here every day, just like based on the culture and just the people that I've been meeting, whether it's a stranger or even talking to my family back home. It's like, I'm not even aware of all the issues that are going on. So I kind of draw inspiration from a lot of them and just conversations in general. I think it's just it plays the biggest role in in how I uh, kind of tackle my work. Have you had any mentors or anyone that have helped you out along the way? Yeah, I have a mentor. His name is Kevin. He's based in Columbus, and we worked pretty closely at my last gig, and he kind of really pushed me in a lot of ways, which I think was really helpful. And it kind of opened my eyes to areas of improvement and just general like and also he's just like a really happy guy and I just like really 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 love him for that yeah so with the work that you're doing you mentioned earlier at a color bright and everything you say it also bleeds into side project work that you do can you talk about some of the projects that you're doing any any projects that you're working on yeah like I, I recently built a project called Kanye that WTF, I guess. <laughs> I don't mean, I don't, I don't know how to really title it so much, but I, I worked with my friend Ahad. He took some 3D photographs, Kanye West concert, and I just kind of put together a, a 3D, like th a 360 virtual reality experience on a website. And it's just like, I don't know, it's just an immersive experience, a concert experience on the web which I thought was, it was definitely informed by the work that I did at A Color Bright. I was kind of toying around with some, with this framework called 3JS. And I just, it just kind of exposed me to a couple of technologies and approaches of way to handle the projects that I'm working on in my, in my free time. How do you balance that personal creative work with your nine to five? So it's a lot different here than in the States. People tend to have uh, more relaxed schedules here. So uh, I honestly don't go into the office until like 10 or 1030. It's a lot different. Uh, the balance is definitely just finding the personal motivation to kind of work on these things outside of work or kind of finding, making sure that you bring your interests into your side projects and, you know, just collaborating with friends and just finding ways to kind of make sure that you're kind of pushing the envelope in your personal work and in your free time just so that you can learn more. Is there anything in particular you're interested in now? Uh, yeah, I'm kind of interested in kind of this intersection between pub, like uh, content curation and, and music. So I, I've been kind of working on a, a side project that is 
pushing women's voices in music and kind of working with a friend of mine who's an editor on trying to like put together content structure and and some ideas around how we can best kind of let people know all the cool stuff that that women are doing in music, either behind the scenes or at the forefront. What do you want to accomplish this year? Ooh, (laughs) that's a that's a loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely want to kind of push myself again in in those personal projects and and release this project that I'm working on now and make sure that it that I get it out into the world. So that that's a big one for me and um, I definitely want to do a lot more traveling this year. I've been trying to, you know, kind of do that as well in my spare time, just see a little bit more of the world and and not be so focused on on work in those senses, just kind of, you know, taking it day by day and, you know, we'll see how it goes. (laughs) Is it pretty easy traveling throughout Europe? Oh, it's a breeze (laughs) to be perfectly honest. Like it's so it's, it's really, really affordable to take a weekend trip or, or something like that. It was completely shocked by like the prices of a round trip flight here versus something in the States. For example, I saw a flight to Venice for 35 euros round trip. And if you were to take a trip like that in the States, like most flights start at $300 and it's just like an insanely it's insane. It's an insane difference between. But you're closer. I mean, geographically, but. Yeah. No, oh, that's, that's. Yeah. It's like thirty-five bucks. It's like thirty. Yeah, bucks. yeah, yeah, yeah. So like forty dollars, but I feel like you can't. You can barely get any flight <laughs> in America for you know forty bucks, and especially round trip. Yeah. I I tried looking for flights because I'm I'm from Alabama, and I was looking for flights to go from Atlanta to montgomery which is not that far i'd say they're maybe about three hours apart the cheapest flight was eight hundred dollars oh my goodness wow flight (laughs) it would take me that long to get to the airport and through security you know but anyway but yeah i know what you mean but i I guess aside from just the the cost you say it's also just pretty easy i guess with your passport you can easily just go from country to country Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I haven't had any haven't had any issues traveling throughout. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's pretty pretty easy to get through. Well, that could be. I mean, for anyone that's listening, I mean, that's certainly an additional benefit. Yeah, I would say if you get here, definitely you know do do the most traveling that you can. I mean, it's pretty affordable, and yeah, there's a lot to see in Europe. There's a lot. Do you find that your travel ends up influencing your design work? Definitely. When I go to different cities I'm often inspired by architecture and it's vastly different everywhere that you go here in Europe especially and just like when I I went to Paris back in in March and just to see how like how big of a, a city it is and how well preserved the architecture is there it's just like it's kind of mind blowing that they're able to like upkeep that and i would say definitely there's there's a lot of uh, differences between type and design throughout the cities that i visited they all treat type a lot differently just based on the languages alone 
So yeah, I'm the person that kind of pays attention to billboards and ads. And I think that's very, actually very American of me to kind of pay attention to those things, but I do pay attention to those things. And, and I think like the type and the design in general varies so much from country to country that it would be hard not to be inspired by it. What's been the most useful piece of advice that you've learned, like just throughout your design journey? I guess it would be work on things that you're passionate about. Always put passion first. And, you know, uh, I think that helps you produce your best work. And if you care about it, you really push the envelope and you make decisions in a way that really makes sure that you produce your best work. <laughs> you have a, a dream project that you would love to work on or that you would love to just, if you had time, if you had the funds to do so, what would you want to do? I mean, if it, a dream project for me would probably be something to create a platform for, and this is totally not, it's not reasonable at all because of legalities and, and things like this, but just a, a platform for artists to actually be able to share the work that they're working on. Like the, as far as audio goes, there's a lot of times that artists cannot like, like say, it, for example, a DJ who wants to, to put out a mix or something, they can, it gets pulled down immediately from SoundCloud or just like the, the legal issues that we kind of deal with at working on the Red Bull project, like the audio can't be made available on demand for users in the U.S. because of the legal laws there. So if I could, but if I could, I would, I would create a platform where, where artists could freely share the music that they're working on and, and they're kind of remixing because it, it, it really is not like they're trying to make money so much off of it, but they're genuinely like sharing songs and music that they enjoy. So I would, I would want to make the internet a better place by allowing artists to share the stuff that they are working on that they enjoy. Where do you kind of see yourself in the next five years or so? Do you think you'll still be staying in Berlin or what kind of things do you think you'll be working on? I think I'll definitely still be in Berlin. I don't see myself moving back anytime soon. I will say that much, at least from uh, Europe in general. And again, I have some personal projects that I'm working on and who sees where, where those will go. But I, I definitely see myself still in Europe just based on my experiences here. I don't see myself moving away from that. And uh, as far as work goes, uh, hopefully still still uh, making cool and useful things. Sounds good. Well, Lauren, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? I am at Lauren Dorman on pretty much every platform. And my website is laurendorman.io. I'm pretty easy to find, I think. I think I'm like one of the, the only ones. All right. Well, Lauren Dorman, thank you so much for coming on the show. I think it was it was really great for you to share your experiences of kind of what you're working on now, kind of what your life is like in Berlin. And I'm really kind of glad that you shared that process, you know, even, in, you know, as brief as it was, but share the process on how it was that you were able to make it from the U.S. to Europe. 
I think for a lot of us here, we can look at the skills that we have. And of course, we have other, you know, obligations, family, et cetera, et cetera, that might keep us tethered in one place. But for other people that have the skills and they have the mobility to be able to go to other places, I think it's good to show that someone like you is in Berlin doing it and thriving and having a ball and, and you know, really kind of succeeding. So thank you again so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you. I appreciate chatting with you. Thoughts of love are and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Lauren Dorman and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Lauren and her work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks as always to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. Facebook invests in design. They care deeply about how their design team might do their best work, and that manifests itself in a number of different ways, such as showing how internal design critiques work at Facebook, sharing resources about VR and other cutting-edge tech, and by giving away great tools and resources like Origami Studio, popular device templates, and even diverse hands for mock-ups. Learn more about Facebook design at facebook.com forward slash design. More than 15 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to grow sales and make money in their sleep. You know, earlier I talked about how MailChimp offers these free automation tools. You can set up Facebook ad campaigns. You can now set up Instagram ad campaigns. I mean, MailChimp has grown from being just an email service provider to becoming your one-stop place for marketing your business. Get everything you need all in one place and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing your domains. With free private domain registration and your choice of domains across all the 400 plus domain extensions out there, how can you turn that down? Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off with your first purchase. Since 2004, SiteGround has been empowering web professionals and beginners alike to build better, faster, safer websites easily without having to worry about hosting. Visit SiteGround.com forward slash revision path to get 60% off on all hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you like this episode, please do me a huge favor. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. It only takes a minute or two. It really, really helps to show out by bumping us up in the rankings for design podcasts. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Visit us at yepitslunch.com for all your design, strategy, and creative consulting needs. And if you like the work that we're doing here with Revision Path, then please consider becoming a patron. You know, now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in their own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. Pledge levels are super affordable. They start at just $1 a month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.